Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Tennis star Naomi Osaka and swimmer Michael Phelps are among a growing number of professional athletes who've been open about their mental health. Now collegiate athletes are stepping up, too, to say they need more support. How are athletic departments responding? Coming up where we live, Quinnipiac University rugby coach Becky Carlson joins us to talk about the role coaches can play to support the whole athlete, both physically and mentally, to help them perform their best. Now, if you played college sports, did you feel supported by your coaches and team? Do you think your university or college considered the mental health of student athletes? You can join us. 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. You can share a comment on our Facebook page or find us on Twitter at Where We Live. Joining us first on Zoom is Will Robinson. He's a junior at Fairfield University and a Division I swimmer, also the team captain. Will, welcome to our show. Hi, thank you for having me. And this note for our listeners, Fairfield University is a partner of Connecticut Public. So, Will, I'm really interested to hear about the work that you've done on campus to raise awareness about mental health. But before we get there, because you're an athlete, I'm wondering if you can talk about your schedule. What's your typical week? Oh, so my typical week, um, my busiest weeks are usually in the fall, which is when we start our season. Our season is starts training in September and our last meet is the national meet that ends in March. Um, so we have a pretty long season, but when we're really training for end season in the fall, um, as a biology major too, I have labs. So I usually take two labs at a time and I'm also an undergraduate researcher for the university. So when we wait, when we go to practice, we wake up at about 5.30 to go to our earliest lift. And then we lift for about an hour and then we will go swim for about an hour, 45 minutes after that um, on Mondays and Thursdays. Then I have class right after and then research and then lab. I get back at around six. Um, and then days when we don't have lift and swim on the same in the same morning, we'll either lift in the morning and swim in the afternoon, or we will swim both in the mornings or in the afternoons. And then we swim for two hours in the morning on Saturday. So in between all of that, I have labs and research and um, other classes that I have to go to. Um, and yeah, and then we give swim lessons on Sundays. So it's always a very busy time for us. Very busy. Can I ask what you do to unwind, Will? Oh, I mean, just sitting would be nice (laughs) one day. Um, As I move from place to place, um, it's always good to just sit in my room or in a friend's room and just unpack with them or especially my teammates, especially since they're going through the same things. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, it's always good to just sit back and catch up. When uh, the fact that you're a Division One swimmer, you're the team captain. You've got, you know, all of this uh, responsibility uh, in terms of your performance as well as your academics. And so, you know, would you say that you know you still enjoy swimming, Will? 
I definitely still enjoy swimming, um, but I think it would be foolish for any athlete to tell you that they've enjoyed their sport 100% of the time. <laughs> um, I think that everyone has their ins and outs with athletics, especially when you've been doing it for as long as, I mean, I have or other collegiate athletes have been doing their sport. But um, yeah, I mean, it's always going to be a struggle with something that you've been doing for over a decade. Um, but there's a reason that people have been doing what they've been doing for over a decade and it's because they love doing it. So, you know, there's always that. I mentioned at the top of the show, there are uh, professional athletes uh, and even collegiate athletes speaking up about mental health. And I'm wondering if you can talk about that with us. And when we think about, you know, the support that, you know, you're seeking as well as, you know, helping your teammates and others on campus. Yeah, of course. So, I mean, I think the um, realm of athletics and mental health really started coming into surface with Michael Phelps, I know you mentioned, and Simone Biles, especially in this past Olympics that we've had. But it's something that's definitely been growing um, prior to that. And I think it's really kind of reaching its head soon. Um, but part of it is, you know, I mean, there's athletes that have unbelievable schedules and times, and even there's um, it doesn't really matter what sport you're going to do or what major you have. Um, your schedule is always going to be unbelievable. That being said, you do get the advantage of registering early and that's a stress that you don't have to deal with. Um, but you do have to schedule around practice times, which kind of even adds to it. But so the, um, but I mean, coaching staffs lately um, and, and this time have been a lot more supportive in the past than they have been to the awareness of mental health of their athletes that they keep training because not only is it important for their athletes to be mentally healthy, but it is important for the successful of any team or individual to be healthy in the right mindset. Um, and I think that coaches are not oblivious to that these days. Um, and it's especially evident when um, you can come to a campus like Fairfield University, where we've recently implemented the Green Bandana Project which is where um, they, we have been electing student athlete representatives to be trained in mental health and mental health resources and um, counseling and how to guide pe people or peers in that way. And it just makes a lot of sense to have student athletes as those representatives for other student athletes because they know what you're going through and no one's gonna quite understand what's going on quite like another student athlete. Mm. So. I'm glad that that you have peers uh, that I mean respond to each other when they're they're struggling. Uh, when we think about student athletes, you mentioned you know you're practicing, you're having to uh, compete as well as do well in school, and so often you know that's the academic performance is tied uh, to uh, your uh, your team because you know athletes, many of them are on scholarship, and I'm wondering if you can talk about that added stress for student athletes, particularly. Oh, especially. I mean, it's the, like travel meets or competitions or games are always a big stressor, especially depending on where you're going, um, because there are meets where I will miss a full week of school. And not only does that mean a lot of times that I've, I'm missing tests or papers or deadlines that are, are excused by the university because of athletics, which is, you know, something that I'm sure we're all grateful for. Um, but it does add that level of, I can't do this now, but now I have to do this later on top of everything else I have to do that following week and keep up. So it is kind of 
an elite mindset where you have to be able to put everything aside at one time to focus on one thing and then be able to come back and focus on that other thing twofold. So it's that kind of thing, especially with labs and you'll, you're going to have to come back and make up those labs or you make it excused, but you have to do extra work on the side for it. So, I mean, the balance is always going to be, you know, very tricky, even when you, with scheduling around practice times, um, there's always going to be conflicts with your academic schedule and things that you need to graduate versus your practice time that you have to have. Mm-hmm. So, and those are always, you know, risks that you have to take. And a lot of coaches are forgiving in that aspect. Um, I know mine is, which I'm very grateful for, but a lot of the things are always going to come down to, you know, how do you plan it out and how are you going to attack it? And that's the, what I think can be most stressful for a lot of athletes when it comes to academics and balancing that with athletics. I mentioned you're a junior. And so how did you get to this place, Will, where you feel comfortable talking about the importance of mental health and advocating for your peers? Uh, Was there a tipping point for you? Oh, most certainly. I think this a similar tipping point for everyone. I'd say probably COVID, you know, that whole era was, I think, made it difficult for a lot of people to, I mean, stop hiding from whatever they were mentally hurting or suffering for at that time. I mean, for me, um, I'm from Alabama. I am live in Connecticut now. So I was recruited to swim in Connecticut. That's how I ended up here. Um, and that's a big factor of you know, displacement. Um, I'm training in it with a team I've never trained before. It's very different. Um, I'm going to a private school in Connecticut suddenly, and I came from a public school in Alabama. There's a big transition there. So a lot of big steps and big transitions are going to lead to, you know, big moments. And I do believe that I've been able to sit back and say, these are how these things have affected me. And as well as being a biology major, which has been rigorous on top of being a division one athlete. Um, It's just kind of hard to hide from the stressors and anxieties that present itself within doing all of the things that student athletes do. Um, That being said, um, I still enjoy everything I do, which I do believe most all student athletes still do. But I mean, those tough times are always going to come around and it would be hard for anyone to ignore the reasoning or logic behind why student-athletes get stressed out the way they do. You're hearing Will Robinson here on Where We Live. He's a junior at Fairfield University, a Division I swimmer, also the team captain. As we talk about uh, mental health and how it impacts uh, student-athletes and more awareness from professional athletes, collegiate athletes about the struggles of student-athletes and and what they're facing, Um, we'd love to hear from you if this is something that you um, experienced when you were on campus or wondering how your university, your athletic department responded to help you or your your teammates are number 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Coming up, we're going to be speaking to a coach from Quinnipiac University and later a psychologist you know, on the, perf- the psychology of performance and, you know, 
some of the the stressors that athletes are under uh, that may be different from the general population and and how institutions and teams should respond to them. Again, our number, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. So, Will, you did mention the Bandana Project, but I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit more about this. I understand it started at uh, the University of Wisconsin-Madison campus, and so it's a a suicide prevention and mental health awareness movement. But talk more about the, the the symbolism behind the bandana. Yeah, so I mean, yes, you're right. It was um, it started at the University of Wisconsin, but um, so I mean, the bandana itself is actually physical. So a lot of athletes um, on Fairfield's campus, at least, will have are given a green bandana. Um, so we will put our green bandanas on our backpacks. So that's just kind of a signal for other athletes that it's you know a safe space, someone to talk to, someone to come seek help with, or if you need help finding counseling and psychological services, or even a question they have to ask, um, especially for freshmen. It's a big, hey, look at me, I can help, say hi, you know, even that kind of thing. And you've had people been more open, they see that bandana, bandana, they feel like they can they talk to you or to others involved in the project, Will? Oh, definitely. And I think even more so, a lot of people have decided that they wanted to be a part of the project as well, um, which is a huge step, I think, because this year my coach asked, um, hey, you know, who do you think would be a good fit for this position? And um, I just went ahead and said, I like, you might have to, you know, do some picking because I mean, there, there's been so much interest in this. So, I mean, that's a great thing to see as well. Mm-hmm. Well, earlier you mentioned that you have a supportive coach, and I'm glad to hear it. But has that always been the case when you look back at, at the time that you've been swimming? And what tools do coaches need to respond to athletes like yourself? Um, yes, you're right. I, um, I do have um, a very supportive coaching staff. Um, I'm very good, grateful for that. And they're not only you know great with mental health and stuff like that, but they're great with our athletics and academics as well. But um, in the past, yes, I mean, of course, I've had dozens of coaches in my life. Um, I've been swimming for, I want to say, over 15 years now. So it would be weird if I didn't have at least, you know, one coach that hasn't, you know, been as understanding as some. But um, I mean, especially as a high schooler, it can be even more difficult. Um, I graduated as valedictorian, which was even an added pressure to all of the um, swimming and club swimming I was doing at that time. But not only that, but I was trying to qualify for my first um, national meet, which I did. I think I was 14 or 15. And when we did that, I hit that mark. And then I remember it's like everything went really cold and all of a sudden very tough um, with my coach at that time, even though he is a great coach and he did a great job even to this day. but all of a sudden, you know, when you met, when you hit that mark, everything goes kind of radio silent. And it's like, that's what you're supposed to do. You know, it's like you've hit that point. Now, here we are. Let's keep going. Um, so in that sense, the push has always been more firm. Um, so it, it wouldn't be like, you know, I, um, I do need to do this assignment. I should probably stay home tonight. Um No, that was not an option. (laughs) It's you can do that when you get home, um, but you got to come to practice right after school. So, um, 
Yeah. And, and getting back to the tools you think coaches need to respond, because you mentioned you graduated valedictorian, many student athletes, high achievers, uh, but it can be hard to ask for help. And maybe should staff within athletic departments, you know, should they receive special training so that they can respond to an athlete maybe before the athlete can bring it up themselves? Right. Yeah. I, th- I totally think that um, could, uh, some coaching staff could use some training on how to approach that kind of situation. But I mean, one thing that um, I know that my coaching staff personally has utilized is individual meetings um, by semester with everyone, just checking in. Um, I think a lot of schools do that actually, but to the extent of which is effective at other schools, I don't know. I can only speak in the effectiveness of of it at Fairfield. And I do think it is a good idea and it is always useful. And if there's a student athlete that Mike, our coaching staff thinks, you know, needs more meetings or more check-ins or more attention than it is given to them. And I think my, my coaches do a good job at reading that um, as well. So I do think there should be some level of training, but I think the attentiveness and level of caring for student athletes, um, I don't know if that's something that can really be taught. Um, but I do think, at least with every coach that I've had in my life, they wouldn't be coaching if they didn't care, which is always a good thing. And um, I think all the, all the tools are there, but like those meetings and check-ins, as long as you're just showing that you care about your student athletes, which is something that my coach always says, he always says, you know, do the, everything to the best of your ability, show people you care. Um, so, I mean, that's kind of the basis of it. And those are the tools you really need to have to everything to the best of your ability and show people you care. Mm. Well, Will, it's been a pleasure to hear from you, to learn a little bit about you. And I've got to ask, I know you're a junior. What's your plan after graduation? <laughs> you know, if you asked me last week, <laughs> I was a doctor. If you ask me today, I'm a vet. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Ask me tomorrow. I'll be a children's book author. Next week, I might be an astronaut. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know yet. I mean, I have a direction. I want to be a veterinarian right now. So, We'll see if we stick to it. (laughs) Well, Will, they all sound like great options. Uh, Thank you for your time. Yes, thank you so much. You're listening to Where We Live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. That was Will Robinson, a junior and a Division I swimmer at Fairfield University. Again, he's the team captain there. Coming up, we want to talk more about how athletic departments are responding to students who say they need more mental health support. We're going to talk with the rugby coach at Quinnipiac University after the break. And what questions do you have about the way universities and athletic programs support student-athletes? You can join us, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WNPR. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. Loneliness can be a significant health risk to people of all ages. Dr. Laura Saunders, a psychologist from Hartford HealthCare's Institute of Living, talks about social isolation and why we need to connect in person. 
Loneliness actually is a pretty significant health risk for people that struggle with social isolation. It affects their blood pressure, it affects their immune system, it affects your willingness to get up and get out and can cause some not just emotional issues, but health problems as well. You're not alone. Dr. Saunders explains how important it is for us to look to others and get out of our comfort zone. I like to talk about social isolation as not just that individual's problem, but it's a community problem or it's a family problem. We need to connect with others. We can take space at times as well, but we need to step out of our comfort zone and do things to connect with other people. It's life-saving. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nopithanchel. We're talking about collegiate athletes and mental health today. The NCAA published a survey of student athletes in 2019 and found students were already coming into college feeling overwhelmed by all they have to do, especially female students. And among the findings, three in 10 female student athletes and four in 10 male student athletes were satisfied with the mental health care received from the team or college medical personnel. How are athletic departments responding to the needs of student athletes today? Joining us now with her perspective on Zoom with us, Becky Carlson, head rugby coach at Quinnipiac University. Becky, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Lucy. Good morning. Our listeners can join as well, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, Becky, I wonder if you could respond a little to what Will shared with us when we think about the athletes that you've worked with as well. Sure. Well, first, I think when we initially did our introductions and, and Will was asked for his title, I think he left a lot out in terms of his title. He is I'm looking at the records that he's broken at Fairfield, and I appreciate the level of, of humble. If I were him, I would have <laughs> I would have opened with that. Um, but I, I think, you know, as far as the things that Will was talking about, I have a I have a deep appreciation for, you know, kind of the perspective that he offered that was relatively it was balanced in a way that um, you know he gave some credit to is to his coaching staff for for being active in wanting to pursue other solutions in in mental health and supporting academics coming first, because there are coaches out there that are desperately trying to keep up with the evolution of mental health. And not every coach, there's very few coaches I know that also have psychology degrees. So this is a, it's an ever-changing landscape. And I think he's, he's correct. Um, I was a college athlete. I didn't, I didn't love every minute of it <laughs> for sure. I think that's a, that's a reality. I just think the landscape compared to the early nineties, uh, you know, two thousands, um, is very different. There are, there are so many other attributes and I don't want to bang the social media drum and, and say that that's the only reason that mental health is, is, is in such a, an uproar, uh, there's many, many factors, but I, I really have an appreciation for Will's perspective on the topic. You've had quite a career yourself. You mentioned you, you were a collegiate athlete. I understand you also uh, worked with USA Rugby. And I'm wondering if you can talk about you know, some of the, the differences you've seen about mental health awareness from the time uh, when you were a student, Becky. It's, it's changed tremendously. And I have this conversation. I have many, many coaches in my fearless coach network, and we have this conversation about how we respond. And Lucy, I think when we talk about whether or not athletics, college athletics in general is 
doing the right thing. And then we talk about the governing bodies that are over college athletics, like the NCAA, and everyone has their opinions on, on college athletics, whether it's NIL, whether it's mental health, whether it's whatever it is. And I think what we're missing here when we talk about mental health, and typically I, I tend to see the headlines that will talk about abusive coaches and coaches being the center of the problem. And it doesn't mean every coach is doing the right thing or that every coach has mastered this. But what I think is athletics has moved so far away from being a collaborative effort. And when I say that, we talk about reform when mental health is concerned. It isn't just about the people directly within the athletes radius, like coaches and athletic trainers. That's what people tend to think of when they think about the athletic ecosystem that surrounds the athlete. And if you are a coach or anyone in athletics, you know that the ecosystem is so much broader than just the people in the athletes immediate radius. So this is what I call, there's this ring around every program that's known as support staff where relationships are paramount to the athlete's experience. So we're talking about academics, sports psychology, strength and conditioning, athletic training, medical support. If those areas are working in isolation from one another, it's when there's this introduction of confusion from multiple parties on their role and what is permitted and what might call for some more legal literacy when it comes to mental health and supporting student athletes. Mm. So I think what's happening now is there's so many silos that are built within athletic departments that there are certain groups that have certain information. And then there are certain groups that don't have that information. And we can all talk about the practices of implementing seminars and Zooms that uh, are there to check a box. But those mechanisms don't seem to be as effective as would be open dialogue between everyone that has an interaction with our athletes. So everyone can be in on, on, on triaging this epidemic, but that's just not the way that we're operating right now. That's surprising to hear in 2022 that those silos still exist. And, and so, um, you know, when I was prompting the question to listeners to call in, uh, not just athletic departments, but when we think about the whole university, the whole college, and how mental health support needs to be provided to everyone. And so I'm wondering if you can talk more about that. What's it going to take uh, to to get it to be more um, not so uh, specific to, say, the coach or the athletic advisor? Right. Again, it comes from, I think it starts where is leadership willing to look at the people that take care of the people? And I think that in this time, especially in COVID, when we talk about the damage that has been done to not just our current student athletes, but we're talking about triaging athletes that have come out of high school that have had experiences and growth and development uh, muted in many ways, and they haven't been able to have certain experiences, which is making them less equipped in the transition to college. But I do, Lucy, want to turn turn our heads just for a second into the idea that gender equity also plays a role in mental health. And I think that when we talk about that way to mental health, that some of the most high-performance coaches who I, I know who coach women and are in my network, and by high-performance, I think um, in the ecosystem of the department, when it isn't collaborative, then we run into the idea that the coach is the sole messenger of high-performing expectations. And now we take female athletes and the lens that they're seeing 
and receiving these expectations from. Let's take example, an athlete is walking into a building where their locker room doesn't have enough lockers. Their medical care is second class or inadequate. They see that a male uh, revenue sport is, is able to secure an ACL imaging uh, weeks before they are. Uh, they realize and they see all of these messages that they're getting every single day and that they're last dog to the bowl in terms of resources. And I know some really fantastic coaches that have a promotion um, of high performance, but when that reinforcement is only coming from one person, but yet the athletes are getting all these messages that they are less than, that is, that's a huge push-pull, right? You must perform at this high level. These are the things that you're supposed to be doing. Please get good grades. Uh, please behave every second that you're in college while you're having these experiences and these temptations. But also, you also don't matter. <laughs> so, so when we're talking about female athletes and what they're absorbing, uh, and this actually can, in, can flow into uh, male sports that are non-revenue as well, because you talk about sports like uh, you know, track and cross country and men's golf and and not having that same kind of regard for their participation, athletics suddenly morphs into this thing that you loved and that you have been told your whole life it's a privilege and you get to do it to this is something I have to do. And I think that plays a huge, huge role in the athlete's mental health of the evolution of how they feel about their sport. Those are excellent points. You're hearing Becky Carlson here, head rugby coach at Quinnipiac University, as we talk about mental health and how it applies to student athletes, uh, how uh, their colleges and universities or athletic departments are responding to student athletes who say they need mental health support. You can join us 888-720-9677 or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. You talked about what athletes absorb, Becky. What did you absorb as a collegiate athlete and what has kept you in this space where you've wanted to continue to coach these athletes? I think, you know, it's very different when we had this initial conversation yesterday, just to try and get a little bit of a feel for the outline of this. Mm -hmm. It was just a very different time. And we're not talking about the 70s or the 80s. We're talking about the late 90s, early 2000s, where a sports psychologist from our perspective of as athletes, they would book us a session and you would sit and talk about how your demeanor in between, I was also a tennis player, I was a college tennis player, how your demeanor in between sets or during crossovers, uh, changing sides in the match, how your, the way that you carried yourself, what it would say about your confidence or your, your how you were going to approach that next game. And that's the way that our generation was taught to look at sports psychology. And even our sports psychologist uh, here, Devin Markle, was uh, educating me on that. And I tend to be think that I'm more of one of the more civic-minded um, coaches. And, and she was educating me that actually, you know, it goes beyond that. And, and it's been really, really helpful to understand more about that. I think as an athlete, there was no conversation about how we felt. There was no, um, there was no me too. Uh, I had athletes um, that were my teammates and were uh, in other sports who were sexually assaulted on campus. I was, um, you know, a, a victim of um, hate crime. And it was one of the things we all talked about in our own spaces, but there really was no audience that we knew if we spoke out about it, that would receive it in the same way that it's received 
today. There was no outcry on Instagram. So you really, you kind of kept those things to yourself. And I think sometimes perhaps to the detriment of our generation, we're having to really, really put ourselves in hyperdrive to understand all of these nuances of mental health because there was no one there for us. And our coach was the only central force of all of that. Um, and the relationship building is it's a requirement now, as it, as it should be. It's a requirement in order for an athlete to get the best results and success and to really, really get their best. Shouldn't they be able to trust the people that are leading them and that are around them and that support them? It's, it's not a demand that's unreasonable. Uh, well, I'm sorry to hear that you experienced that uh, when you were uh, a student, uh, Becky, but it sounds like those experiences you bring fully to what you're doing today as well as, as coaching student athletes. And we heard Will talking earlier about how the pandemic was the tipping point for so many of us. And I'm wondering what you're hearing you know, from from the athletes uh, that you coach about the, the support that they need or what they want to hear more from the university as a whole. Right. We have a pretty, we have a pretty open dialogue in turn with, with our, our programs in terms of trying to really pinpoint the, the needs. And I, I say this from a, from, not from a, a, our school perspective, but an athletic, a college athletics perspective where you're hearing all these departments say, well, we just hired four or five new mental health specialists. What's, how is this not getting better? How is this, you know, how are we overloaded and not able to tend to everyone that needs to be tended to? We hired more staff. And I think that hiring more staff uh, is, is a first step. I don't think it's the step. And I think that if the relationship building that we are required to create as coaches in order to be able to keep our teams together, especially in times of COVID, that should be required of everyone that's involved in the triage and helping that athlete. Because athletes, everyone knows that, and I know from experience, that our athletes will come to us sometimes about it and say, I don't want to talk to anybody else. How can you help me? And then it becomes that conundrum of what can I legally do to help this athlete? What's within my What's within my space that I'm allowed to help this athlete with? And how do we, how do, we do it? You can hire as many people in, in, in mental health, but if the athletes don't have a relationship they don't trust and they don't see your face as someone who is just there to check a box, we all know when we talk about uh, people that are struggling with mental health, say, to say to them, let me know if you need anything. Right. That's what we're essentially saying. We have people here. Let us know if you need something. We talk about that on our teams. If you know that an athlete is, is struggling, go to their dorm room, knock on their door. Let's have, a, let's have a conversation. Let's let's bring them into the fold and not expect them to have their hands reaching out to ask for to ask for that help. You're hearing Becky Carlson here on Where We Live. She's head rugby coach at Quinnipiac University. As we talk about student athletes and mental health, I wanted to fit in a caller, uh, Valentina from Farmington. Valentina, what did you want to share with us? Um, hi. So I um, am a parent of a number of athletes, four, <laughs> um, and one of them wants to be a volleyball Olympian. Um, she's only 11, but in, as a parent and kind of taking a step back and figuring out, okay, well, how do we make that happen? Um, I've kind of recognized just what, what Becky touched on, and Becky, you've made so many 
great points, and I hope Quinnipiac is paying you so well because <laughs> you sound like an amazing asset. Um, but just I, I realize that it's going to take not just um, our family, but her teachers, her coaches, um, the trainer at the gym. Just it's a it has to be a collaborative effort, um, and not just in terms of getting her where she needs to be as an athlete, but keeping her where she needs to be like as a person and in terms of her mental health and her growth and her development, um, because her performance on the court is ultimately going to be a reflection of, of all of those things. Um, and I guess just as a parent, it's kind of made me step back and look at just what's required to even raise a child successfully. <laughs> um, just it's, it really, it has to be a team effort um, and a, a coordinated effort. Um, so as a parent, what I've started focusing more on is uh, getting more involved in my community so that we can have those relationships and those connections, um, not just to support her and get her where we'd like her to go, but to be able to provide that support to other families as well um, and get input on, on what works. Um, she's at the uh, Husky volleyball program. And one of the reasons I just absolutely love them is that they um, spend time encouraging the girls to support each other and encouraging them to hold each other up and help each other move forward. Um, which again, just is so much of what's required to maintain that mental health. Well, thank you, Valentina, for sharing that with us. Uh, Becky Carlson, did you want to respond to what Valentina shared, supporting athletes long before they're in college, and how do we nurture youth? I think that, that first of all, that's that's all uh, everything that you said. I, I I love the understanding of that ecosystem, and that it's a collaborative effort on your part as a parent because it's not an easy thing to navigate. But I think the one thing that you said that really hits home with me is. I think that in today's world with sports, we're confusing, our athletes are tending to confuse their identity with their results in their sport. And we're not doing enough to give them an identity outside of sports so they see their value and what they bring to this world outside of the pool or the court or the track. And there's so many things that I believe you said your daughter was 10, 11. Uh, there's so many things already out there that are screaming at them that they see on their devices and on their friends' devices that say, look at how much fun this is. Look at how much fun we're having. Look how perfect it is. And they get this image of what sports in the future will be like. And there's hard parts of sports and there's failure and there's there's winning, there's losing, there's quitting. Um, and quitting can be, as as we know from, from watching some of our our professional athletes that have walked away from the sport, uh, it, 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 we don't do well with endings. And we have to um, keep that door open should our athlete choose an ending. Because what we're doing is pushing them into what is a financial opportunity at the higher levels. And it's strictly seen as a financial opportunity. That's something that they'd love to do. So, Valentina, I love that you're keeping that those, those doors open and really being supportive in understanding that there is that athletic ecosystem, not just in college, but, but surrounding your daughter and it will be a team effort and it will continue to be, I think when we get into those spaces where it's isolated and we're solely focusing on results, that's when our athletes get the message that this is, this is something I have to do, not something I get to do. 
We're going to continue talking with Becky Carlson after a short break. And coming up, we're going to also hear from a psychologist. And and take your calls, too, as we continue talking about student-athletes and their mental health. You can join us, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. listening to Where We Live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbathanchel. We've been talking about collegiate athletes and their mental health. With us is Becky Carlson, head rugby coach at Quinnipiac University. And joining us now on Zoom is Dr. Jim Taylor. He specializes in the psychology of performance, the author of several books on the psychology of sport, and he works with high-level athletes all over the world. He was also a Division I Alpine, Alpine ski racer in Middlebury College. Dr. Taylor, welcome to our show. Good morning. Great to be here. There's so much to unpack uh, from what we have heard from uh, the the previous athlete as well as uh, Coach Becky Carlson. I'm wondering if you can give us uh, your perspective on this heightened awareness uh, of mental health and how this impacts athletes. Yeah, it's been huge with the the opening up of uh, mental health issues among high-level professional athletes like Naomi Osaka, Simone Biles, Michael Phelps. And because we tend to look at um, professional Olympic athletes as superstars, as superhuman. And, and so we think they're immune to a lot of the, 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 the natural challenges that we mortals have. Um, but what we learn, and I certainly know from my own practice, is that they're very human. And they have many of the same um, challenges that we all have. They just happen to have better genes from a physical perspective and have had maybe more opportunities. And so really what it's done is enabled young athletes um, as well as juniors, as well as collegiate athletes to be able to say, well, if they struggle, well, me, it's okay that I struggle. Um, if they're open about it, maybe I can be open about it. And more importantly, if I, if they can seek help from professionals, then it's okay for me to seek help from professionals. And that normalization is really, really powerful. Um, I, I will say that in my work and many of my colleagues, there, there are really three goals that I focus on. Um, it, when working with athletes. Um, one, uh, the most obvious one is they come to me because they want to improve their performances and achieve their goals. And I totally support that. But the reality is even the very best athletes are going to be athletes until t- they're 30, 35 m- max in most sports, but they're going to be people all their lives. So the second order a goal for me is personal development. And, and Becky actually mentioned this and very, very appropriately that uh, my goal is to help them become the best versions of themselves. And Valentina, I appreciated her, her comments in terms of um, helping her daughter achieve her goals, um, both, uh, both as an athlete and as a person. And then the highest order, of course, is mental health, because without mental health, nothing else matters. All the success, the gold medals, the big salaries, none of that matters if somebody's struggling with their mental health. Right. I wanted to fit in a quick call, Dr. Taylor. I'm hoping you and Becky can respond to Kathleen. Kathleen, what did you want to share with our guests? Hi. Um, so I have a daughter who is a hockey player, kind of high-end, goes to private school. She's a repeat sophomore. And, um, you know, for years she was totally into it. Every single second was, I want to play hockey. And then, you know, 
series of things occurred with like coaches and stuff and kind of got her really down and now she's not quite as into it but she spent so much time and effort getting to this goal of wanting to play D1 um, and now she's kind of stepping back and wondering you know did she waste all of her time and there's so many other things that she could have done but she still likes hockey so we're as parents saying you know you should continue on this path. It is a stepping stone to get you into the colleges that you may not necessarily get into if you don't have this as a as a factor. Um, and then when you get into college and if you still don't want to play, then you can step away from it at that point. And we're, I'm just kind of wondering, this is like the perfect show because talking about everything that we talk about as a family. So I'm just wondering what your perspective of that is. And it's good to know that a lot of these schools are taking on sports therapists, you know, to help these student athletes because it's not an easy path for them. Right. Well, Kathleen, thank you for calling in. Uh, Dr. Taylor, you want to take that first? Um, sure. Well, the, the reality is striving for greatness in any one area, whether it's sports, academics, the performing arts, whatever, um, there are choices you have to make. And I don't like to use the word sacrifices because there are upsides and downsides to everything. And, and kids, they start out young and they want to be the best at something and, and be superstars. And then they realize that maybe they don't because there are other options in their life that they want to choose. Um, certainly, I'm a huge believer, both personally and professionally, that sports can be a wonderful avenue for, for, for pursuing whatever is your passion and for becoming the person you want to be and for mental health. Um, at the same time, as we've seen, it can be a huge challenge um, where the pressures of our culture, and this is really a, a key point that I want to emphasize, is that now the sports culture has changed. Um, I call it the youth sport industrial complex. And, and sadly, youth sports um, and college sports are no longer about the athletes. They're about big business. They're about making money. And so that sends a very powerful message to kids that we're just products, that we're just being manufactured for the purpose of making money. And so, so it, it's, it's a challenge for parents of young athletes. It's a challenge for coaches like Becky, who care so much, um, to, to push against the tide of, of that culture. And um, is it ever going to change? Probably not because I'm cynical here, but money tends to rule the world. But we can all, um, at my level, coaches level, parents levels, we can fight the good fight and, and make sure our kids are, are instilled with really healthy values around sports. That it's not all about winning, that it's about participation, it's about giving your best effort, uh, it's about do, doing, finding your own personal greatness. Um, but, uh, but the big thing is for athletes to be able to have that perspective and adopt those values that will foster not only improved performance and personal development, but mental health. And that needs to come from every level of the hierarchy of the culture. And Becky, you're still here again, head coach at Rugby Quinnipiac University to uh, Kathy's question about, you touched on this earlier, but the idea that for so much time and effort, it becomes part of their identity. But when there are concerns about burnout as parents, you know, how um, can they help their children uh, make that decision that's right for them? I think it, I have this question and I'm, I'm also a parent, but I also, in some ways, there are many questions and things that come up within our teams that, you know, our athletes would ask their parents and they ask their coaches. And I think, I think we don't ask enough questions. I think we, we put the roadmap out a lot of these in a lot of these instances and say, well, here's what's available. Uh, here's what you could be going for. Here's the goal. 
Um, how the next question? How do you how do you feel about that? I will tell you that in my in my network of coaches, we talk about the silence that occurs out on the training field and out uh, on this even in the field of competition, where the communication between the athletes is is less. And what we do is we open up the field for them to be able to, to talk to one another and lead in a way that it's not always the coach that is the central force of everything. But also what it does is allows them um, to talk about, you know, you said earlier, I believe the caller said she was really into it. Something happened with her coach and now she's not as into it, if I'm correct. So we're, we're talking about, um, we're talking about a particular situation that changed the tune of something. Why um, do we ask enough questions? These are athletes and kids that go into classrooms every single day and the teacher talks at them. They ask questions and it's silent. Every one of my recruits has said I sit in silent classrooms. So it's because we're not asking enough questions. I think in their everyday life, we're not asking how they feel about these things and, and really getting to the bottom of that. And it's, it's, it's a natural instinct, I think, for all parents to want to put that roadmap out there. And I believe you said she's been pushing really hard for, for division one. And, and I think that, I think that the doctor is absolutely right when we talk about what's happened in, in college athletics. And I think we've had this connotation around division one being the only experience and uh, it's just, it's not the case. And introducing the idea of, you know, is it the division that you want or is it the experience that you want? And I actually have a piece that's written on the five secrets of the recruiting process. And it talks a lot about how we help our children decipher from the name of the school, from the financial opportunity, from the division, the divisional temptations they have to want to look in that direction and really have them look at the overall experience of what they're getting in terms of what they're working for. So I think asking more questions, using using your network to be able to, to decipher and understand more about where that struggle comes from and whether or not it's a, it's, it's it, maybe it's a cry for an exit or maybe it's a cry for more support to continue. I think we need another hour to talk about this very important uh, issue uh, this hour. I want to thank Becky Carlson, again, the head rugby coach at Quinnipiac University. I understand you're writing a book. We've got to have you back, Becky. I'd love to be back on, Lucy. It's been great. You guys have been wonderful. And I want to thank Dr. Jim Taylor again uh, for coming on. He specializes in the psychology of performance, and we'd love to have you back as well, Dr. Taylor. Thanks so much for the opportunity. Today's show produced by Tess Terrible and Sarah Gasparato. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Thanks to Katie Pellico on the phones. And our technical director is Kat Pastor. We hope you have a great weekend.